This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Hello, and welcome to Beltway Banthas, a Star Wars podcast live from the hive of scum and villainy in our very own galaxy, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Stephen Kent, and this is the first of a, a new line of interview episodes with Beltway Banthas, that being political operatives, media figures, and politicians themselves. This series of episodes has always been about trying to get a sense of who out there in the world is a Star Wars fan that you didn't know really cared a lot about these beautiful, beautiful movies, books, comics, all of it. This week, I got to know Gene Park of the Washington Post. He's a video gaming reporter at the Post, and the first thing that I read from him um, that I really took note of as a big Star Wars fan was his reaction to the rise of Skywalker. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't good. He, as a video game reporter, looked at what he saw on screen with the rise of Skywalker, and he saw a lot of traces of video game storytelling. And he's going to talk to you about what that means and why it does not bode well for filmmaking and why filmmakers should try to think outside of the box of some of the tropes that you might encounter when you are playing a linear kind of video game. It's really interesting. Gene is a huge fan. He has been uh, doing the Star Wars thing as long as any of us. He mentions that he might have been, and this is with pretty good reason to believe, the first person to buy a Phantom Menace ticket when they hit a, a you know, became available in 1999. So pretty cool stuff, and he's going to tell you all about it. I can't wait for you to get to know him. So why don't I get out of the way? Gene Park of the Washington Post. Let's do it. Gene Park, welcome to the show. Hey, Stephen, thanks for having me here. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. It was the first time we've ever had on a gaming reporter to uh, to the program, and I'm really excited to speak with you. So let's start and uh, about with learning a bit about you. What was your journey to the post like, and did you ever think in your wildest childhood dreams <laughs> that you would have a career writing about video game news, not for some nerd culture website or some blog, but yeah. for the Washington Post? You know what? I'm still getting used to it. I just started this job in October, um, and that reality still hasn't really quite set in. Um, I got into journalism because uh, really my first real exposure to journalism, like journalism that I really wanted to see, was Ninten Nintendo Power. Uh, it was the Nintendo magazine that they distributed that was basically promo material, but like it was really the only magazine back in the 80s that was talking about video games. Yeah. So I was a, I was a subscriber. I was a print subscriber when I was six years old. Um, and uh, I just followed gaming journalism for the whole time. Um, and it kind of got me interested in writing. And uh, I eventually uh, majored in journalism and I became a journalist. Uh, never covered games professionally. I did it freelance when I was in college back mm -hmm. in the early aughts. Uh, but uh, since then, I've only ever been like a crime reporter, uh, a, a business reporter, military reporter, um, and an education reporter. 
So um, when when you saw like a or, or someone reached out to you at the Washington Post about a job there, was this the first time that you've gotten to be a full time video game reporter? Well, so I've actually been working at the Post for about five years now. Okay, and before before that, I was a social media editor at the Post. So in between my my journalism career, I transitioned to doing more digital media stuff, and that's how I landed the job at the Post. And then as the Post was kind of thinking about, hey, we should be covering video games. This is a huge blind spot for us. Yeah, esports um, and such, uh, right? <laughs> esports and just gaming culture in general. You know, it's it's so much of the dominant culture today, and we're going to talk talk about that more in a bit. But you know, the fact that that we we don't have a dedicated uh, staff to to writing about this huge part of of what we talk about today uh, was bad. So you know, of course, I just applied for it and I got it. And so yeah, so I, I it hasn't really sunk in for me that I cover video games for the Washington Post. I had always thought like maybe I'll cover it for Electronic Gaming Monthly or GamePro or all these other magazines that were huge during the 90s. Um, and that always seemed like a dream job. Um, and then so a lot of those magazines aren't around anymore, but the Washington Post still is. And yeah. here I have this job. Well, you're not focused in any way just on Star Wars like we are on this podcast, but you know, you're yeah. covering all things gaming. And by extension, you do write about Star Wars game news. And I, I noticed in reading your pieces that you've been writing since October that you write mm-hmm. about Star Wars pretty lovingly, like a fan. You offer good quotes, good references. Uh, there's a lot of winks and nods in your Star Wars writing, whether it be about Fortnite, the Lego games, the Rise of Skywalker, um, you have the vibe of somebody who does care about the subject. And I guess my question is, do you? Are you a Star Wars fan? And if so, what is, where does that begin for you? Listen, I hate the Rise of Skywalker, okay? <laughs> oh. but, I, but, I, but I saw it five times in the theater. That's how big of a Star Wars fan I am. Because for me, uh, the, the privilege of being able to watch a Star Wars movie in the theater outweighs my own personal feelings about the, the story or whatever. Mm, I'm right um, I'm right there so, with you. Five times. Yeah. And you weren't even doing yeah. that as like research, you know, for any writing. You just you just kept going, right? <laughs> completely completely out of obligation. Yeah. Um uh, you know, I, I watched Revenge of the Sith back then uh six times in a row. Yeah. Um you know I sat in the theater three times back when you can do that. Um so yes I'm a huge Star Wars fan, been a Star Wars fan for a long time. I actually didn't realize uh, about how much uh, I've written about Star Wars. That's true. I've written about the games I've written about the Lego Star Wars meme, written about the movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, Star Wars is such a huge part of culture too. It's it's a it's a it's a thing in a, in and of itself. So there's so many different facets that you can write about. Um, and you know, Star Wars and gaming uh, definitely have grown up together. You know, what is uh, what is your Star Wars story like? Um, meaning, kind of where did it all begin for you? Um, a lot of people talk about you know their their first time in the the original 1977 film in the theater. I'm I'm particularly younger, so you know the prequel trilogy is kind of my origin story. Um, mm-hmm. Star Wars now has three kind of eras, three storytelling eras: the originals, the prequels, mm-hmm. and the sequel trilogy. We're in the midst mm-hmm. of the the third era, I guess more so than what is your favorite Star Wars movie. Um, what period of time is your personal favorite as a Star Wars fan? Well, definitely the original trilogy. Um, I didn't grow up in the original trilogy, uh, but I did grow up during the eighties. Um, so obviously, you know, Star Wars was still hot back then, and they were still pumping out the products and the toys and the video games. And I. Don't remember what my first exposure to Star Wars was. I really wish I could remember that, but I, but that's I don't remember memory. either. I have like fundamental memories with my brother, and it mostly involves mm-hmm. toys and playing. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't mm-hmm. remember that first exposure. 
It might have been toys playing or or a video game because I definitely played the original Star Wars Nintendo game and it was impossible. And but I remember <laughs> like really wanting to, to play it. Um, and you know, laser swords and lasers. I, I mean, like what 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 else some better recipe could there be for a video game than that? Um, so you know, I probably. I'm guessing from knowing my my behavior, I probably wanted to watch a movie afterwards, and then like I was in love with the movies. So, what was it about the '80s? Um, I mean, I know it was kind of like peak Star Wars time. You're coming, you're coming out of the Empire Strikes Back, and you're rounding down with Return <laughs> of the Jedi. But what about that period of fandom and kind of the way in which fandom functioned? Did you find to be enjoyable that you think is kind of superior to the way Star Wars fandom works now, where it's much more organized, professionalized in many ways, and then some. Sometimes the prequel era is often described as like, I don't know, like if you were still into Star Wars, you were kind of weird because everybody was into Lord of the Rings in the early 2000s and pre- prequel, prequel Star Wars fans were kind of considered weird. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No one talks about Lord of the Rings anymore, which is amazing. Uh-huh. Take that. Um, yeah, um, I definitely. You know, I remember that the first time a feeling commercialized when I saw Darth Maul so much in Taco Bell, and then when I finally saw Phantom Menace. Oh, here's an interesting fact about me. First of all, before I get to anything yeah. else, I might I might be the first human being in existence to have bought a ticket to Phantom Menace. You think so? Yeah, because because the tickets open on Guam first. Before, the ticket lines open on Guam, where I'm where I was born uh-huh. first, before anywhere else in in the world. And I was first in line. So. Oh my! Oh my gosh! We have a celebrity in the house. Here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the theater told me that they were going to send my 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 dollar bills to George Lucas. I have no idea whether that's true or not. Amazing. Should probably hit up Luke. Should probably hit up Lucas someday to find out if he ever got it, if he even remembers that. But I was definitely first in line. It was hot. It was a hot tropical night. I had a sleeping bag, and I bought Phantom Menace. Which is why I was so disappointed when I finally saw it because I was like, I want to see Darth Maul, and I realized I saw Darth Maul a lot more in Taco Bell than I saw him in the movie, and that's when I realized like I might have been ahead, you know, like this is this is a corporate product, and you know, I was already becoming a teenager at the time, yeah. so I was becoming a little bit more woke to to these <laughs> to these things. Um, but it, but definitely looking back at the old Star Wars footages of like fans coming out of the theater, it definitely feels a lot more organic like less organized like you said like i really like the way you framed that um because it's definitely been corporatized and i feel like that's always going to happen with any kind of franchise um and you know i mean there's still so much good in the star wars community today too well let's talk a little bit about that corporatization in the context of video games and the kinds of Mm -hmm. stories that star wars is telling you wrote a great piece which uh which kind of brought us here to talk today uh titled the rise of skywalker Mm -hmm. embraces all the worst parts of video game storytelling and Mm -hmm. i want you to tell us a little bit about your first experience seeing the movie and when the light bulb kind of went off for you about what you were seeing, because I agree with your analysis. We'll talk a little bit about some of the terms you knew you use fetch missions, MacGuffins, microtransactions and the, and the whole context of star Wars. But the, the plot uh, was very linear. You describe it in your piece, like the moving hallways of uh, like mm-hmm. 1990s games. I remember my, my best example of that is like the, the teenage mutant Ninja turtles games where you're just kind of moving down a moving hallway hopping over stuff and getting to your objective what was that moment like when you realized what you were seeing and uh and how did you come to sort of put together this analysis well uh, that's a great question because i realized it in the first two minutes of the movie 
when when Kylo Ren was on Exegol uh, or or heading to Exegol, um, when he was first on Mustafar, which the movie doesn't even mention, was in Mustafar yeah. uh, to get to get the Sith Wayfinder or the Holocron or whatever. And then as soon as I saw the Wayfinder, I was like, oh, my God, it's going to be one of those movies. And then, like, sure enough, it was a GPS thing to go find Exegol. And then and then I was like, OK, so they're going to have to find another Holocron. And then sure enough, that so I so the movie was moving along exactly the way like like I was predicting from from minute one of the movie of, of the movie starting where I would just say, OK, it is a huge glowing thing. This is the Transformers. This is j- So it's it's funny that Chris Terrio. Uh, co-wrote the movie because this is a very similar story to Justice League, where the, where they had also a mysterious glowing box that they had to collect to help beat the final boss of the movie. Well, you know? so and you describe this as it's a fetch mission. It's it's when your mm-hmm. hero or your protagonist, whatever, like they they need to solve um, the mission, but they need to go and retrieve something. Um, I think you you kind sure. of uh, describe like the person who gives them. You know, this mission is the quest giver. Uh, how does that sort of play out exactly? Like you know, they have the GPS item, the wayfinder that they need to find, and you kind of point out that it basically is pointless um that the movie could have mm-hmm. moved along this way without involving an item and i guess my my mm-hmm. question more broadly is how does this happen i mean like surely jj abrams and professional you know movie makers they are aware of these things and they would try to avoid them right i was very surprised uh i i was re- i'm still i'm still really shocked that they went they, they went with that route so fetch quests in video games are 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 everywhere in video games. I think mo- a lot of developers agree that much of what you do in video games is what what can be broken down as mm-hmm. a fetch quest uh, because you, it's it's objective based. You have to go here, you have to do this thing. Like for example, in Grand Theft Auto, in the co- context of the Grand Theft Auto game, uh, like a pimp might call you up and say, "Hey, yo, can you call?" Can you go pick up my girl and then drop yeah. her off at this other place so she can and like it's the tend, illusion tend to of advancement, and right? <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. And it's the it's this illusion of you're doing something, and really it just and then the problem when a fetch quest becomes bad in a video game is when the player is able to sense what is happening. So that means that the story in between, if the conversation with the prostitute and your character is so boring and there's nothing in between happening that's exciting. Then you realize that you're being strung along in the fetch quest, and that you're really just doing uh, what could yeah. be just tasks in the game. And then, so it was surprising to me. Even the, like, it's fine if a Star Wars movie is objective based. A lot, they all are. You know, you have to get get the get down the shield barrier. That that that's still a fetch quest and everything. But there was really nothing in between to 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 motivate the characters to to go to do this thing other than to find the bad guy. Which is incredible. Like there was no personal journey to to find his mm-hmm. knife, you know. That, that I think you know, and I, I I'm sure that you, you you've probably belabored this point already. But like the knife that just happens to have the exact same coordinates for the broken that, shattered that, Death Star uh, that made me like, like fall out of my seat you know? because it requ- it required, and I guess yeah. you could just throw away and be like, oh, the force led her to that specific. Spot. You need an yeah. X to mark the spot if that is going to line up correctly yeah. and tell you anything about where to go. The knife wasn't even important. <laughs> it, it wasn't. Yeah, they, they could have just written that in as a force because they did that anyways yeah. with Finn. 
So it's like, so it's like they really tried hard with certain things and they didn't try with others. And I, you know, I don't want to turn this into a complaint fest about the rise of Skywalker, but that's well, essentially yeah, what I, my I piece think, was. And I, I try to avoid this as well. Like I, I really have always tried to make Beltway Bantha as a positive fandom um, experience for people because we, we love Star Wars. We like the politics of Star Wars, but there just seems to be a lot of um, questions out there, even in the positive fandom about what the heck just happened in December and why did this movie feel so different and reading what you wrote about it really made a lot of sense um you know the questions about the knife the questions about the wayfinder the wayfinder being smashed by kylo ren and then it revealing that you know only i can take you there um it makes you feel like you the viewer have wasted the past hour and a half of your life (laughs) um and it's it's discouraging and my big question here and and i'll try to phrase this as as you know uh coherently as possible but you know the fetch quest as sort of like a, a model of video gaming that most storytellers are trying to get away from now in games you have MacGuffins as well which i think MacGuffin is the object itself that is the subject of the fetch quest right um is is that really a product of video game culture or is that a product of storytelling in general that they're just people with a mission they're going after an item and that is sort of like your not your sword in the stone right but it's sort of the thing that you're holding grail after. right yeah yeah like, isn't it yeah. older than video games and if so why is it a problem for star wars to apply it in this way sure uh i think the reason why it is definitely older than video games, and you're right. And the reason why it's a, it was a problem that Rises of Skywalker applied the way it did was basically what I mentioned earlier, that nothing that they really did in between felt consequential or really informed the story or built their characters in a certain way. I mean, what we, you know, with, with Chewbacca being kidnapped and Finn discovering that, like, we didn't discover anything new about Chewbacca or Finn. All we know now is that one, they probably wouldn't really give a shit if mm-hmm. uh, to, if Chewbacca died, and two, uh, Finn has has a really hard time with object permanence because he just pointed at the, the wrong <laughs> ship that he just saw like a few seconds ago, you know. So it's like, so there's that, and then when I mentioned that video games are moving away from that, that from this kind of transparency in terms of the fetch quest, you know, I talk about The Witcher Three. Uh, the Witcher Three had. The Richard Three has quests that involve, like you know, uh, a marital abuse and 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 alcoholism, and there there are all these stories and, and moral quandaries that that you have to deal with as you're going through this quest of finding, uh, like someone's missing wife and daughter, for example, right? It's a very simple kidnapping quest, but there's so many interesting things going on in the story, and here's a more relevant example. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people agree that The Mandalorian was actually a success, right? And people really enjoyed The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian is essentially a fetch quest. Uh, um, and, it, and it is also an escort quest. An escort mission is basically a mission in a video game where you basically take... It's kind of like the prostitute example again, except that if instead of, instead of driving the prostitute to, to the pimp, you're instead defending her from yeah. like, the, like opposing gangs or whatever like that and making sure that she's, that she's safe. The fact that the escort mission in the Mandalorian um, is Baby Yoda and, you know, getting Baby Yoda was also a fetch quest. Uh, rescuing Baby Yoda is also a fetch quest. But the things that happen in between all that, ha- all, all of that going on is interesting because you find out more about what drives the Mandalorian. You find out more about his past. You find out more about the world that's going on around him. Uh, you find out more about Carl Weathers uh, and he becomes like a, an interesting character. Um 
all these different things that 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 that, that really pan out to make you feel like you did not waste your time. Um, versus again, mm-hmm. another example of a bad fetch quest, uh, possibly in the Last Jedi with the casino, yeah. uh, uh, the, the famous casino scene. You know, nothing really happened, and I guess we learned a little bit more about the character. So we're going to excuse it about that because. To be fair, you know, whatever your opinion on Rose and how she was written was, you know, we did find out a little bit more about her. You know, and I mentioned the Lord of the Rings earlier, and it's 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 might be different because that was a very different kind of story. This was like prestige Mm -hmm. cinema. These were really long, long books being condensed down to stuff. But I think people appreciated in the Lord of the Rings efforts to world build even if there was slow um sort of sequences going on there were additional Mm -hmm. chapters to the movie where they're like going to some new kingdom Mm -hmm. it was the point was sometimes just to enjoy seeing more of middle earth and Mm -hmm. i was always put off that folks were so upset by the casino scene for example because yes it did Mm -hmm. not serve a story purpose but Mm -hmm. for me Mm -hmm. i i think i'm kind of that snobby fan where i'm like i just really wanted to see a new world (laughs) and is in why is it like with star wars that that is not enough like is it just the differences in the kind of movie that this is between something like lord of the rings where it could totally get away with that in the context of a three-hour long epic saga type movie well i mean that's the thing like like they they kind of uh uh, box themselves in by 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 hewing so close to the original trilogy you know by having the, these constant story beats, as opposed to taking a Lord of the Rings approach, like you said, uh, uh, taking a break, you know, we really get to l- learn about the Elven City. And yes, to the casino scene's credit, we got a new scene, and we did find out about the casino scene. I could probably tell you a little bit about its culture and what goes on there, which is interesting, you know, and that's fascinating. We don't know anything about whatever uh, what's her face, whatever planet was on, where they got the yeah. magic coin to get on a uh, Kylo Red ship. You know, I'm already forgetting the name of all those planets. Um, we shouldn't be able. To, we shouldn't be forgetting the names of, of planets in, in the Star Wars movie. Well, and, you know, and like the the important takeaway from Canto Bite that could have meant something really big was what they learned about the financing mm-hmm. of the First Order um, and the Resistance movements, and this kind of like pivot away from uh, the adventure to like. So why are we always having mm-hmm. these Star Wars? And they're going, you know, mm-hmm. it's the military industrial complex mm-hmm. and it's private moneyed interests. And not only does the next movie not seek to address how did the first order rise basically going mm-hmm. off of that canto bite beat um they never came back to uh antonio uh, banderas i'm not uh, oh, oh my goodness i'm, <laughs> I'm already actor? forgetting just completely <laughs> botched his name Boy, i'm gonna like edit him. it back in but they never even came they never even came back to that character who they met on canto bite and they threw the first order out entirely yep. as a threat in in favor of a sith army and that's just the kind of stuff that leaves you going like what it was just so exhausting we never got to know anything there was no world building yeah it was just like what happened to the first order nothing it's just like the the the, the sith army that appeared out of nowhere um so it's just well let's let's talk about microtransactions because you made a good point in this piece which i had not thought about because i i've been thinking a great deal about the 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 world of canon under Disney, um, the extended stuff that they're doing with comics, with books, with video games, and this sort of 
um, extended storytelling that they're doing. The biggest news break of that was with the novelization of The Rise of Skywalker going back to answer some key questions around how on earth is the Emperor standing before us. The answer was cloning technology mm-hmm. from Kamino, which mm-hmm. we could have known, but they never told mm-hmm. us. Um, and then, you know, we learn more about the context of Rey and Kylo's kiss, and we also learn about it being Mustafar that Kylo was visiting in the beginning. And the only way for you to know that is to go out and buy these books, mm-hmm. and you equate them to microtransactions mm-hmm. as a model of storytelling. You are uh, you express some concern about the corporatization of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this is sort of almost inevitable uh, under Disney's umbrella? Oh, absolutely. And there's too much money in it and and people buy it, you know? Um, uh, I definitely compare it to uh, another uh, fantasy epic uh, that recently came out a few years ago, Final Fantasy XV. Um, it was a game that was really, really looked forward to by, by everyone. And it was a game that was in development for 10 years. So people were really looking forward to this. But the game, the project was such a mess that it came out and the story was 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 barely there. And to understand the backstory of the four main characters, you had to watch the free, the, the YouTube anime, um, and you had to watch the, the 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 feature film starring Aaron Paul for some reason, um, and you had to watch <laughs> you had to watch the trailers to understand the beginning of the movie, uh, beginning of the game, and then later on they grafted on like other stories that made the story better. But and explained the, the actual story, what, what was going on. But then you had to buy, you had to spend an extra forty dollars to get that backstory. So it's like I spent like about one hundred twenty dollars on this one story just to figure it out. And yeah, I I, I enjoyed the experience, but the, um, the 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 cost of entry was was pretty high. And it's it's it you know, and and I did it, I did it. You know, what can I say? You know, I, I I complain about it, but I do it anyways. You know, uh, I'm not yeah. I'm not buying the Star Wars books because I can find out what I need to thanks to w- Wikipedia, but um, and that's all I really need to know. But um, I still I'm still indulge in it. I still participated in the in the Fortnite event for Star Wars uh, just to hear the Emperor's voice. You know, um, I'll still play the games. Um, so it's, it's, it's the dead speak. Yeah. The dead speak. The emperor has a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah to essentially find out that, that, that emperor Palpatine had been, had been uh, posting his podcasts basically. My sense was with Star Wars being really fractured storytelling all of a sudden, even though it is centralized supposedly in this story group who has some sort of master plan, I was surprised when The Rise of Skywalker came out and general audiences were pleased Mm -hmm. with the product. Mm -hmm. I was talking to casual Star Wars fans, non-fans. They really liked that movie and they liked that experience. And what I have seen is that more committed Star Wars fans Mm -hmm. were the ones that have since then really been been scratching their heads at what they saw. And that's exactly the opposite of what I would have thought. I thought The Rise of Skywalker and the way that this story has panned out would have daunted and confused the casual fan, while the committed fan mm-hmm. um, would have been quite into everything they saw because they can go find out all the facts and, and fun tidbits later. Is that your experience as well? Did you sort of see the same thing in your circles? I did see the same thing. Um, the people, uh, like, you know, I remember seeing the, the the preview, the media screening, and I came back and I looked horrified. And people were worried, and then people came back to me later and said, "I actually liked it. I really had a fun time." And I'm, and I was just like, "I don't know how. I, I, I can't cross that divide. It's like, I don't know how, how you can get to that point." Uh, to I was baffled. Enjoy it. I was completely baffled. I felt like I was living on a different planet altogether. 
Um, and, I, <laughs> and I don't even know what the planet is called, you know, which is very Star Wars. Um, so yeah, I, I, I have no idea what the, what they saw in that, I guess, you know, people are really, really ask, not asking a lot from these movies, which I think is probably the, the best approach, um, in that, you know, they just wanted to see a bunch of lasers and things, things explode. And that's probably the same reason why I went to see it five times. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's, you know, that is what makes Star Wars powerful. It's what makes it profitable is that it is a, a popcorn movie. And in many cases, it is people like me who make it unenjoyable for the average, <laughs> the average moviegoer and the general moviegoing population. Yeah. Um, I, I want to round down on, on one more thing that you had written about. And sure. I, I got the sense that it was an example to you of really good video game storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, if y'all are interested in Jedi Fallen Order, mm. um, there's a really great piece by by Gene Park here about it, and I highly recommend you go read it. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, it was considered to be one of the first great Star Wars games in a decade. Kind of looking back on that game, did you play it, uh, and what was your sense based on just kind of reviewing it and soaking all that in about what made that game work from a storytelling and narrative perspective? I did play it. I beat it. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It was one of my favorite games of, of the last year, and uh, probably my favorite Star Wars game I've ever played. Um, and part of, and the reason why I enjoyed it was exactly the reasons why uh, we described earlier, because they actually took time with world building. There were small character moments between, you know, it's still a very, uh, it's still a, an ensemble crew. You know, it's still a very much Star Wars story about a, about, about a small group of ragtag uh, rebels. Uh, but we really get to know them. Uh, we really get to know Greeley, the, the pilot. We get to know uh, Sayre, uh, the, the, the fallen Jedi who's, who's trying to mentor you. Um, we get to know the little robot. We, we find out more about BB-8, the robot. There are uh, BD-1, I'm forgetting the robot names, uh, more than we ever did about BB-8 or, or, uh, the, or, or whatever the new robot was in Rise of Skywalker. Um, uh, and again, the game was still very much a fetch quest and it even revolved around the exact same item that, that I was complaining about in Rise of Skywalker, the holocron. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're still running around to find a, find a damn holocron, which is basically a USB drive, uh, the USB drive <laughs> of Star Wars, right? Yep. Um, and, uh, but we're still doing that. But the things that are happening in between, uh, this Jedi that's, that's trying to, just trying to get his groove back. Um, you know, everything that's happened after ex- the Order 66, the follow of that, you know, we get to see in person, like, like what happened after Revenge of the Sith. All of that stuff as a Star Wars fan is extremely interesting and it's relevant and it's explained very thoroughly. We visit Darth Maul's home planet. Yeah, there's all, all these different things that, that feels really good. As and I imagine it would feel really good as a new player, but as yeah, a Star Wars I, fan, I didn't more, finish the game. I, I played at a friend's house while I was visiting for three days, and I only made it through probably about forty um, percent, roughly. And mm-hmm. you know, thinking about the USB of Star Wars in in that game, the holocrons and pursuit of uh, of that knowledge was to kind of relearn skills. Right in a game, you need yes, to learn skills. Yes. It's to it's to grow and push your character forward. And so I felt like it. Made Made sense to be going after these things because you're trying to remember all of this mm-hmm. stuff and that what's mm-hmm. more literal than going out and finding the holocrons if you're a jedi thinking back mm-hmm. to the rise of skywalker and the last jedi the last jedi 
Ray picked up all the sacred texts from Luke, and mm-hmm. she used it uh, to study Exegol on uh, at the Resistance base, and she also used it to presumably <laughs> oh grow as a Jedi. It's yeah. it's completely unclear to me why mm-hmm. they couldn't have just couldn't have just narratively used the, the sacred down. texts to be like, hey, actually, you know, here's a loophole for us to get to Exegol. The books, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the books kind of mentioned it already. I mean, so I guess we need them to visit a desert planet so we can go. Sink in the sinkhole, you know. Um, we're gonna see Burning Man of Star Wars, yeah. The Burning Man of Star Wars and and uh, and Lando, I guess, you know. And like, you know, even though his appearance was corny, you can never be worst cameo, yeah. (laughs) Hey, I'm a Lando, yeah. And you you, you love that they put, yeah, and they put on his mask so when he's walking around, it it, it won't show that he can't really walk around that fast, you know. Oh my Um, gosh, so it, it was it was really fun, but. Exactly. Like, the, like it makes sense. The, the quest to find a holocron narratively makes a lot more sense in that game. Um, and, it, and it's thematically tied to what they're trying to do, which is try to get back the Jedi Order. Uh, it makes sense that you would want to get the files back of the Jedis so you can, you, so you can start that up again. Um, and it's, kind of, it's a lot weirder to find a, a GPS device that was in that was in the desk drawer of your old throne room in the, in the fallen tower of your last building. Uh, to find your new hiding place where you were cloned. Gene and I both share some concerns about the way that Star Wars is breaking down from a storytelling element. Um, But let's end on a positive note. Gene, what are you excited about coming around the corner with Star Wars? There's always something new that they're teasing and laying out. Uh, We have The Mandalorian coming out. We have this Project Luminous High Republic era that they're going to be working in, a totally new sandbox. Uh, What's got you optimistic, maybe on both the creative side and maybe the business side if there is anything sure, <laughs> um, would, sure. love to, would love to round down on that well the business side is that i'm always going to be paying anyways you know like 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 regardless of how much i hate star wars i'm i'm resigned to the fact that i'm going to be caring about it until i die you know um so you know more content is fine um i'm i'm encouraged by by disney's uh, comments uh they do seem humbled by the response to, to rise of skywalker and, you know, I was encouraged by the fact that they were thinking about, like, outside of trilogies. I'm encouraged by the strength of the Mandalorian and Jedi Fallen Order. Uh, and it just tells me that there are extremely, extremely good, competent, uh, loving storytellers within their stable that they have that they just need to let loose, you know. Um, I just think that whoever had designed the films just dropped the ball. But there seems to be a lot of creativity going on uh, elsewhere, and I, and now that the trilogies are over, uh, I'm kind of looking forward to this down period of of a lot more creative projects that that we can bounce off of. You know, the Clone Wars coming back, um, the the the, the uh, a respawn entertainment is is likely going to do another Star Wars game. Um, uh, we're probably going to get other uh, other Star Wars games to follow, um, and yeah, and the Mandalorian uh, season two, and everything that that uh, that show had promised is extremely, extremely exciting and it, it, and just tells me that they're ready to explore something else. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm not done with Star Wars. I'm just done with Rise of Skywalker. So. Star Wars ain't done with us. Gene Park yeah. of the Washington Post, thanks so much for coming on Beltway Banthas. Stephen, it was so much fun. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And all of you can follow Gene on Twitter at Gene Park. That is G-E-N-E Park on Twitter. Lots of great articles from, coming from the Washington Post these days on video gaming. Thanks to Mr. Park. All right. 
That brings us to the end of another special episode of Beltway Banthas, getting to know somebody out there who is a fan, just like all of you. Look, this has been a really hard time. All of you are probably practicing this social distancing and self-quarantine thing like I am to the best of your ability if you are lucky enough to have a job uh, that allows for it in a lifestyle um, where that sort of thing is is possible. I myself have always been a remote worker, surfing couches in my own home and uh, moving in between tables to find places to work, and that's just been... Um, you know, kind of the, the pros and cons of, of my lifestyle and work for a long time now. But, you know, my wife, my wife isn't even here right now. She's at a grocery store. She's working Trader Joe's and uh, coming in contact with the public and, you know, this coronavirus thing every single day. And it is wearing, um, I think, down on her really hard. And I know a lot of you out there are dealing with the same sort of stresses whether your kids are at home from school and you weren't planning on uh, having to take care of them during the uh, the nine to four hours. <sighs> you know, I, I'm kind of low on words or prepared prepared remarks in this, this whole mess, but I just want all of you to know um, in the Banthas community that we're here for each other. And if you want to stay in communication and chat, this is a good time to be doing it, you know, um, feeling lonely. And I... I, I know I, for one, I need to go outside a lot to be happy and I need to socialize and it just sort of keeps me on the level and I am calling people more than I normally would. I'm, I'm touching base with old friends. I am FaceTiming with, uh, with loved ones who I normally don't usually uh, ring on the video function, but now I am because I need that contact. And uh, if all of you are in the same need, you know, please feel free to reach out. You can add us at Beltway Banthers or me at Steven underscore Kent89. We also have a Discord channel, and the link for that is in our show notes on retrozap.com, and you can kind of uh, st- you know join the community and, and chat with us anytime. And if you have any thoughts on, I don't know, this is kind of like weird, but if you have any thoughts on what's going on in the world right now, the spread of contagion, fear as the virus in some ways, um, in many ways, that is the case. You know, feel free to email us, beltwaybanthas at gmail.com. Yeah, just feel free to share your thoughts, vent, and uh, we might read those emails on the show. We'd love to know what y'all are thinking. And, uh, you know, if y'all are going through anything, please feel free to share. We're here for you. And yeah, may the force be with you and all of us always. <laughs> <laughs>